This morning, uh, my task is to really just introduce us to a new series that we are starting, a series that we are calling Royals. Royals. Um, Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that is exactly what you are. You are royalty. This is a conversation in which we want to explore the idea of identity. We want to talk about identity. Um, And when we speak about identity, identity is really an answer to the question, who am I really? Who am I really? When you pull back the layers and the veils behind it all, who am I Really, more than that, my identity is not just who I am. It's not just what is true about me, really. It's the answer to the question, yeah, but what is most true about me? What is most significantly true about me? Um, I don't know if you know what's most significantly true about you. But I can tell you that your life and your direction and your decisions is going to be so influenced by who you believe that you are really. Show me a person's life choices and direction and I will tell you something that they believe is most significantly true about them. I cannot stress enough the significance of understanding our identity. What is most significantly true about you? I wonder if you know the answer to that question. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to take it even a step further than that because we happen to believe that the most significant truths about us are determined by what God sees and says when he looks at us. What God sees and says when he looks at us. So in the course of this conversation, when we're talking about identity, that's what we are after. We're going to define identity that way. It's what God sees and says when he sees me. In fact, we'll put the definition up on the screen so we can start to get used to that. Identity, what God sees and says when he sees me. I primarily and ultimately am what God sees and says about me. And so I wonder, and we want to continue to explore, do you know what God sees when he looks at you? Do you know what God says is true about you? Because that's who you are really. That's your identity. There may be a lot of different things that are true about you at the same time. But your identity ultimately when it's all said and done is what God sees and says about you. My name is Kondo Abel Simfukwe. I was born in the United Kingdom. My father was studying to be a pastor um, 
in, in the UK, and uh, one thing led to another, and I was born there. Spent the first two years of my life in, in England, and um, uh, my dad left with my mom and my brother um, and went back to Zambia, which is their home country, and he took on a job as a pastor in Zambia, Lusaka, the capital city, to be specific. And so for my elementary school years, I grew up in Zambia, South Central Africa. Um, when I was about 13, uh, my dad got a scholarship to go and get a master's degree, which happened to be in Australia. And so made sense to take the whole family along with him. And so I ended up spending my high school years, the majority of my high school years, in Sydney, Australia. I had a full-on Australian accent, Mike. That's terrible. Izzy would be really <laughs> embarrassed by that. Um, after Australia, we came back to Zambia, and I actually did my senior year of high school in, in, um, in Zambia at a boarding school. Not because I was bad, it just happened to be the best school in the country. So I did a boarding school year, one of the most significant years of my, my life. Um, after I graduated, I had no earthly idea what I was going to do next, because my parents made a combined annual salary of less than $2,000, so college just didn't seem like it was in the books for me. And so I did the only thing I knew to do as a new believer at 17 years old. I fell on my face, and I begged God over and over again to do the miraculous and move mountains and open the door and provide for me to be able to go to college beyond my family's resources, and God said, sure. Uh, opened the door, and I should tell you the crazy story about the sequence the Lord used to get me all the way from Zambia, South Central Africa, to Winona Lake, Indiana. And I went to Grace College and Theological Seminary, 200 Seminary Drive, etc., etc. Two very significant things happened when I was in college. Uh, Number one, I got plugged into a local church and began to serve. And as I served, I discovered my gifts. And as I discovered my gifts, I discovered my calling, which is one of the reasons I can't say strongly enough. If you want to discover your calling, serve in the church. The second most significant thing that happened is I met the most delectable, tall, vanilla-flavored frappuccino (laughs) from Seattle, Washington, the coffee capital of the world, if you know what I'm saying. Um, Man, about two decades ago, I became the luckiest husband ever, married my wife, um, Melissa. We have five children. Don't feel bad for us. We did it to ourselves. Uh, We have two uh, caramel frappuccino flavored teenagers, uh, and we have three chocolate flavored Frappuccino-flavored daughters who joined our family via um, adoption. And uh, I I just wanted to share all of that with you because I know you came to church to learn more about my history and my story. And uh, I'm just sharing that in case anyone is wondering, like, how did you become a multicultural black pastor in Warsaw, Indiana, and husband and father to a Crayola box-looking family? Uh, by the way, you should see, like, when we roll up anywhere, Sinfukwe party of seven, it's a scene. People have no idea what to make of it. Like, just staring at us, poor wife, think she's a sugar mama of some sort, but she kind of is. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I'm just, I shared all of that with you uh, to tell you that all of those things are pretty cool. 
And they're pretty significant. And all of those things have helped to shape my story. But guess what? None of those things have the power to give me my primary identity. None of them. They are true about me and they're significant about me. But they are not where I get my primary sense of identity. They cannot be where I get my primary sense of identity. If somebody asks me the question, who are you really? Believe it or not, none of those things I just shared with you are the primary answer to that question. Those are not the most significantly true things about me. When we speak about identity, we are saying, what are the primary things that God sees and says about you on account of your connection to the person of Jesus Christ? When we're talking about identity, we are not talking about how you feel about yourself. We are not talking ultimately about what you think about yourself. We're not talking about your experiences, what's happened to you or the things that you've happened to do over the course of your life. We are talking about what does God see and say about you. I love what Paul says about those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. And this is what we want to unpack and explore over the next number of weeks. If you have a copy of the Bible, Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, the verses will appear on the screens, whichever screen you happen to be staring at um, right now, as as you can see. By the way, if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, we would love to get one into your hands. Seriously, stop at the Mission Corner, uh, stop at guest services. We would love to get you a physical copy of the Bible. Ooh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible is so good. Check this out. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Here's what this means. Putting your faith and your life on the person of Jesus means, means that when Jesus went to the cross and died, the old version of you died with him. This also means putting your faith and your life on Jesus means when he rose victorious from the grave, he raised with him a new version of you. Your old is dead and a new version of you has emerged on account of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That's the picture of baptism. The old has gone. And the new has come. It says raised with Christ. Since this is true, he says, set your hearts on things above. In other words, chase what heaven wants for you and for the world more than you chase anything else. Which is one of the reasons we are a missional church. Not because it's the hippest or coolest or funnest thing to be. But because we want to chase what heaven is chasing. Set your hearts, your desires, the things you're after on things above where Christ is seated because he rose from the dead. He's not there anymore at the right hand of God. Verse 2, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Minds, he's saying the way that you think about life, 
the way you think about people, the way you think about culture, the way you think about war should mimic and echo what heaven thinks about life and people and war. Think the way heaven does. Calibrate your thoughts to heaven's thoughts. Set your mind on things above. Which also means the way you think about you should be an echo of what heaven thinks about you. The way you identify yourself should be an echo of the way heaven identifies you. Not the way the earth identifies you. Verse number three, four, you died when Jesus died. The old you is gone. And now your new resurrected version of life is hidden with Christ in God, because the old you is gone and your new reality is here, held in heaven. I love this. All of the volumes and in, 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 in all of the manuals and all of the resources for your new you are stored up in the heavenly headquarters. One of the reasons why you ought to set your mind on things above the realest version of you and all that's attached to your salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's stored up in heaven, in Jesus, with God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your primary and ultimate identity is held in heaven. Your ultimate and primary identity comes from above and you ought to set the way you think that way what God sees and says when he sees you because of Jesus it's a heavenly thing I love the way Paul describes our reality in this passage the way you think about you should be an echo of what heaven thinks about you if you're a follower of Jesus there are a lot of things that are true about you there are a lot of things that are correct about you there are a lot of things that go into your experience resume but you are first and foremost what your heavenly paperwork says about you you are first and foremost what God says is true about you on account of what Jesus has done for you. You are not first and foremost what happened to you. You are first and foremost what happened for you. You are not first and foremost what everybody else says about you when they look at you. You are first and foremost what God says when he sees you. And that beautiful new resume is kept in heaven for you. So you better start thinking from heaven down. As a follower of Jesus, I am first and foremost what heaven says in connection to Jesus, which means as a follower of Jesus, I am first and foremost a son of the high king 
of heaven. I am royalty. I don't know if you knew. Let me reintroduce myself. My name is Kondo, but my identity, son of the living God. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Jesus. I may be black, as you may have noticed, but that is far from my primary identity. You may be white or somewhere in between. That is far from your primary identity. That's just the shell God gave you in order for you to carry out the purposes he has for you that are stored up in heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a child of the king. We are royalty. Your primary identity is in heaven. It's what Jesus has done for you, what God says about you. Please, we are going to get used to that. We're going to say it over and over again until we start to catch up with this reality. Because the goal of this series is for us to lean into and live out of our true identity in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You are not primarily a mom. I'm telling you, it will take us a while to detox from some of the ways we've primarily identified ourselves. You are not primarily a mom. You are a daughter of the king. And we'll talk more about this. If you miss that, if you miss that and you primarily define yourself as a mother... The teenage years are going to mess you up. (laughs) Woohoo! You're going to question your life choices, your identity, because who am I even when my kids don't like me or don't talk to me or they don't want to spend any amount of time in the public spaces in the house? You will have questions, but that's not who you are. That can't be who you are. Why? Because mother is an earthly identity. We are going to do some work with this. You are not primarily a single student. That's not your identity. Wait, are you single or are you with somebody? I'm single. Oh, now I know who you are. You're a dude in waiting for your life to be made something when somebody comes and gives you a new eye. That's not who you are. You are not primarily an abuse victim. You are a child of the king of heaven. You are not primarily a poor third shift worker. That is not your identity. You are not primarily a white man. You are not primarily a conservative. I don't think I need to tell you what happens if you primarily define yourself as a conservative and it starts to feel like the liberals are taking over. 
Your whole thing will come apart really fast. Turns out that's earthly. That's not who you are. Primarily. Come on, you're not an ex-con. That's not your primary identity. You are not heterosexual or dysmorphic. You are not primarily your struggle. You are not primarily an addict. Those are earthly designations. Or your GPA, that does not get to define you. You are not primarily what people say or the ways they label you when they look at you. You are primarily what God sees and he says about you. Again, you are not primarily what's been done to you or what you've done. You are primarily what's been done for you on the cross and in the empty grave by the person of Jesus Christ. When you think about yourself, start in heaven. Start with what Jesus did. Start with what God says is true about you. Echo that and go from there. That's your true identity. That's who you are. And again, what we want to do is discover, get reintroduced to ourselves, and maybe believe for the first time what God says about us. Lean into it and live out of it. Because if nothing else, by doing that, I believe it makes us unshakably secure. In an era in which there is so much insecurity about identity, this will make us unshakably secure. And you should see how a secure person lives. It's almost annoying. Like, wait, you're not worried about what I think about you? You're not constantly in an episode of The Voice hoping somebody will turn their chair for you? You're not constantly auditioning for people's approval and applause? You're not constantly looking for somebody to affirm you and give you a sense of who you really are? No. I walk with an annoying swagger. It will make us unshakably secure. Uh, Condo... um, Prince condo, that sounds like a little much, unshakably secure. Well, first of all, thanks for calling me a prince. It is actually, matter of fact, who I am. Thank you very much. The dude presently known as Prince. Um, (laughs) Number two, though, is if you think unshakably secure is a little much, then I, I mean this respectfully, but you should learn how to read. Because uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Let's look at this again. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ, the new version of you. Set your hearts, the things you long for, the things you run after, um, above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds the way you think on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3. For you died. The old you is gone. And your new life is now hidden with Christ in God. Woo! Sometimes I've just got to clap for the Bible. This is so good. This is so good. Your life 
as a follower of Jesus, verse 3 says, who you ultimately are, who you are really apparently is hidden in Christ with God. Mm, 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 mm. Who you are, your identity, your salvation, and all that's attached to it is apparently hidden in the person of Christ in the presence of God. I don't know if anyone else gets the sense that God is really terrible at hide and go seek. Really bad. I read this verse and it's like God is saying, um, I'm going to hide something. Also, <laughs> I'm going to tell you exactly where it is. God, this is not how you play. This is not how you hide things. That's not how you hide things unless he's not hiding it for secrecy. He's hiding it for security. Unless God is telling Satan her new identity is hidden in Jesus in my presence. Dare you to come get it. This is so powerful. I love the way Paul describes this. I'm just asking, if your identity is hidden in Christ with God, if your sense of identity is in heaven, in the presence of God, behind Jesus and the Father, what on earth has the power to shake or take who you really are? Oh no, you're going to walk around with some swagger if you believe that. If it's hidden in heaven, then what on earth should make you feel less about yourself or or unworthy or whatever else it is that our insecurity ultimately struggles with? And the death of insecurity is an understanding of how secure my identity is in the presence of the living God. Have you ever seen how a secure kid lives. So over the next number of weeks, we are going to talk about some of the things that God sees and says when he looks at us. And it's going to be challenging. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be challenging for some of us to actually bury the old self that's died and start to lean into the new self that's hidden in heaven with Jesus, And we are going to ask week after week, if that is true, then what lie must die? What lie must die? But for today, just a couple of things. One of them I've already said. Hey, start in heaven. Start in heaven. Don't let anyone, including you, Primarily identify you by something here on earth. I have a new identity. It doesn't live down here. It comes from up there hidden in Christ with 
God. We are children of the king of heaven. Our dad is up there. Our citizenship is up there. Our stuff is up there. Our primary identity is up there. And here's what I think starts to happen, by the way. A devil does not want you to live with a growing sense of your new identity. He wants you to live in the tomb of your old self. But he's smart enough to know God has issued his Fort Knox challenge. Come get it. Devil knows he can't get your, he can't steal your sense of identity from heaven. So he's going to come and take it from you. And he'll use ridiculous little things such as Instagram. The crisis among teenagers attached to social media. Because all of a sudden, the enemy has me believing that I am the sum of the likes from my last post. And the minute I become thrilled about how many likes I got, I look at my friend's post and they got twice as many likes. And then back into this place of I am not enough and I've got to catch up and I've got to keep up. The devil can't steal your identity from up there. So he'll come and try to mess with it down here. Come on. It's no accident that race has become such a violent issue in our country. I have preached about a lot of things, but not seen as big an exit as when I preached about race. Because all of a sudden, for the first time, people start looking at me like, are you an angry black pastor? Versus like, are you trying to maybe convey and wrestle through what the word of God says? But the race thing, man, if the enemy convinces me that I am primarily the color of my skin, I'm a black man, I'm going to be at war with everybody who I think is saying something crossways about anything related to the color of my skin. If you start to think you are primarily the color of your skin, do you know what you're going to do when you start to feel like all of these people are coming and they're threatening our way of life as whatever color you are? And it is going to throw you up. And have you seen how insecure people live? The lengths to which they'll go, the things they will post, what they will say when that becomes their primary sense of identity. The enemy knows if we can get them to primarily believe that they are the sum of their likes or they're the color of their skin. Watch what starts to happen when those things get messed with. We become insecure because those things are earthly and super shakable. I'm telling you, if you believe your primary identity is political, the enemy has got us so good on this one. If you primarily identify yourself as I'm a liberal. Do you know how furious you're going to be when it feels like the conservatives are winning? And if you view yourself as I'm a conservative, do you know how mad you're going to be when you don't feel like I'm saying enough things to support your side of the aisle? Look what's happening to our country. Look what people are doing. And we become so insecure and shaken. And the devil is just like, I can't steal it from heaven, but I can steal it on earth. If he can get us to 
primarily identify ourselves by our relationship stati. Oh, he'll mess with us. Because who are you even if you're not yet married? And if you're divorced, remember when you used to be godly? Now you're divorcee. That's your identity. Own it. Walk around in the store apologizing and feeling like that is a, you are a scarlet lettered person now on account of this. You can't serve in the church. You can't join a small group. If it can get you to believe that. And if it can get parents to say to little kids, hey, when you get married one day. Over and over and over again until they believe, like, I think I'm supposed to get married. Otherwise, have I even lived up to the dream and the expectation if I'm not yet married? And the devil can get you to believe, like, singleness is a curse. Which is why some of you are on the apps that you're on. It's why you're dating the person you're dating. I don't like him, but I've got to get there somehow. And the devil's like... She's questioning a sense of worth until she feels like she's got someone. He's questioning his sense of worth until he feels like he has someone. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're a college student. That's your identity. What are you going to do after you graduate? I don't know. You don't know? No. Am I supposed to know? No, you're 19. Just enjoy college. Just enjoy the freshman 82 or whatever it is. Just do it, man. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> Worry about it later. That is terrible advice. (laughs) Man, if I believe the lie that my identity is in something I do or accomplish here, then the devil can break in and steal it. My sense of worth, my sense of security. It will falter the minute whatever that thing is is threatened. And I'm telling you, everything on earth is threatenable. When I shared my little biography with you, all of those things I say are true. But they're all shakable. Things can happen to any of those things. There's an identity that's hidden somewhere where nothing can reach, nothing can shake. These are unshakable truths about who I am on account of what Jesus Christ has done. Um, And just to be clear, the devil's more than happy for you to lean into something good. That's the other thing. I think as Christians, he's got us. Do you know how he gets us? By getting us to identify with things that are really nice. I'm a family person. Family first. Okay, that's nice. Nowhere in the Bible. But okay. I'm just a family person, right? And that's how I identify myself. Well, family is a good thing. We're so proud of you. You're such a, such a, look at you, such a handsome family. To church together, look at y'all. Right? And it's a good thing. And the devil doesn't mind as long as he keeps me away from the primary things God sees and says when he looks at me. He doesn't care how he moves us away from our truest identity at all. Or your physical beauty. Like, that's nice. Okay. There's nothing wrong with being beautiful. I mean, God made me this way. That's fine. But have you, by the way, ever seen a beautiful person age when their identity was in their beauty? It's not pretty, man. And I mean that in every way. Like, it is rough. 
Oh man, that is a prison. In the mirror every day, a new wrinkle, a new gray, a new this, and this is now not where it used to be, and that thing is veering that way, and gravity, and all of those things. The devil has you second-guessing who you really are. Start with heaven. The devil will try and hide from you what's hidden in God. He loves hiding our truest identity from us in all kinds of earthly comparisons and what everybody else says. And before you know it, I'm a slave to what people think. Um, here's another quick challenge. Rewrite your bio. Try that this week. Um, I, I think we're going to get better at this as the conversation goes on. But just try it. Like if you had to, to, right now, like if you had to reintroduce yourself. Starting from heaven, if you had to reintroduce yourself as you imagine God would introduce you to a friend, what do you think he would say? What do you suspect he might say? I'm just saying, rewrite your bio. Because unfortunately, when I think about myself or I talk to people about myself, I list 50 things long before I even start to think about what God sees and says about me. That comes way later. When I think about the things I hope people will know about me or discover about me, like, man, what God says about me, that comes way later. I'm just asking, if you had to rewrite your bio from heaven, what things would you put on that list? My name is, and I am what? Just a good exercise to start to think through. Um, I'm going to give you a quick warning before Kirsten comes out for a couple of minutes. Here's the warning. Don't be dumb. Don't put this on your job application. Do not put this like on your quiz at school. Like, what is your name? I am a child of the king. Okay, what's your address? Heaven is my home. The Bowen Center will be your home. So I'm not saying... I'm talking about, hey, set your mind how you think. Consider rewriting a bio to give you a new way of thinking about yourself. And we're going to build on that resume as the weeks go on. Father, thank you so much for what you've done in Jesus. Thank you so much for making us new. I pray for anyone in the room that doesn't know Jesus personally, that your spirit would stir them To say yes to Jesus' offer to forgive them fully of their sin. To destroy their old self and raise up a new version of them in him with you. Father, continue to speak over us our new names, our new identities. Until we believe you and lean in and live out of who you say that we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.